Thank you. And uh, one other special item today, uh, Lee is visiting with us. Uh, Lee is our district superintendent, and we're going to give him a chance to say a few words. Well, hello, everybody. I am your district superintendent. My name is Lee Kissman, and I've recently been also serving as your roofing contractor. <laughs> so, just a few words about that. Um, it's just been such a privilege to work with the guys on your new facility. I've uh, been a roofing contractor and a pastor both for over 30 years and roofed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of buildings. And I don't know how much longer I'll be able to keep it up because I'm almost 60 now. So for me, it's a feather in my cap for one of my end-time projects to be one of our own district churches. And it's just been so great working with the guys. Um, as much as if I have enjoyed it, I've enjoyed watching your volunteers, most of whom are older than I am, climbing around in that building on those trusses. I'm just so impressed with the team and uh, their generosity, inviting me to lunch and buying my lunch. And I think some special donor provided for some of that. But it's just... It will always be a delight to drive down the highway and just see this building. I remember when you were still at the Senior Center. And I just, I give thanks to God for what he's done in this congregation and through you. First getting this property and this first building built, but now the new addition. And to see standing room only in this place and young families. I can die a happy man. <laughs> just participating in all of that. So, uh, just wanted to say thank you. It's been a privilege. And uh, speaking of buildings, next week I'll be at our Aeneas Valley Free Church up near Tenasket. And, you know, that's the boonies. <laughs> that valley road, that Aeneas Valley Road, there's nothing there. There's not a public building on that road, not a store. But you may remember about five years ago our district helped them to buy about seven acres. And just this year they've got their first building up. It's all dried in. I think they're working on the inside now. And they just called a new pastor who's starting today. And so I will be there next week with him and with John Newton, who John and Ellie has been serving as our interim pastoral couple there. And um, we'll be preaching there next week. So there's nothing more exciting than progress in the ministry in such a tangible way. Growing congregations, buildings going up, which are necessary as well. So thank you so much for all of the, that and prayers for us. And you might keep Lee in prayer. He's leaving for Guatemala here next month, joining his wife down there for a time. So keep him in prayer. We're going to ask the kids to make their way to junior church. And while they're making their way to junior church, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 11 this morning. Romans chapter 11. By the looks of things, we're going to have to hurry... And get into that new building because that room's going to be too small back there. <laughs> there was at least a dozen of them went out. <laughs> so, uh, okay, Romans chapter 11. We'll 
Read the verse 1 through 10 here. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have torn down thy altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? That which Israel is now is seeking for, it has not obtained. But those for whom were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see and ears to hear not, down to this very day. David said, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Paul raises a very serious question in verse 1. Has God rejected his people? Is he finished with the nation of Israel? Has the church replaced the nation of Israel? Serious questions. Should we as a church join the boycott of Israel? Should we join with the UN and, and stand against the nation of Israel, believing that they have no part or right in the land? Shall we condemn the settlements that are being made? Or does God still have a plan and purpose for Israel? We need to approach this with caution because we are living in a day and age when so many are condemning the nation of Israel. I was thinking of that just this morning in our Sunday school class. We, we read the, the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ there. And, you know, it started out and he delivered him to be crucified. Who was he? Pilate. Pilate was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And yet, we, if we're not careful, we, we put that blame squarely on the shoulders of the Jewish people. The fact of the matter is, it was not the Jews and it was not the Gentiles that took his life. He gave it for us. He willingly went to the cross for us. But there are a lot of practical questions that come out of, has God rejected his people or not? Uh, for one thing, if we condemn Israel for taking back their land, then what does that say to America today? Uh, whose land was this before we came along? Should we give it back to the Indians? Uh, let's all move back to our uh, the, the lands that we originated from. Uh, if, if you're going to put those standards on Israel, why not on America? Uh, are, are we being consistent in, in our approach there? And then there comes the question, if God can set aside a promise that he made to Abraham, a unilateral promise that, that did not depend upon what Abraham did, what hope do we have as a church? Will he set aside his promise that he made to us as well if, if we don't do the things that, that we, we should be doing? And, and, and I, I know there are those that say, you know, the church is getting better and better, and when it reaches perfection, the Lord's going to return. I don't see that happening today. <laughs> I don't see it going that direction. And so 
what's to prevent God from saying, okay, I'm, I gave up on Israel, now I'll give up on the church and I'll start a third time. We, we, we need to approach this subject very carefully as we move into chapter 11 here. We're actually going to spend three weeks in, in chapter 11. We'll skip next week because uh, that's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And lest I forget, I, you got an assignment for next week. I usually, I know that some of you don't think this is possible, but I try to give a very shortened message on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And I do that for the reason that I want to give you time as a congregation to give thanks to the Lord. So I want you to spend some time thinking this week, what special blessing has God brought into your life this past year? And what, what do you want to give thanks for? And I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to share that ne- ne- next time. So that, that's your assignment for next week. But uh, we're going to look at chapter 11. It's going to take us three weeks to get through it. We're going to look at today God's purposes for Israel. And then we're going to see what is some of his purposes for the church. And then we come down to verse 33, and we're going to take a look at the tremendous wisdom of God. And you know what? We're going to walk away after looking at this chapter for three weeks. And we're going to scratch our head and say, I don't understand it all. Because God, is, his wisdom is so much greater than, than, than ours. But we're going to have a, a, a better handle, a better glimpse on what God is doing in the world when we finish. There are three approaches to the study of this chapter and the God's purpose for Israel. I'm just going to quickly give you those three And then we'll take a look at what is being said in the text here. There is, first of all, the British Israelite viewpoint made popular years ago by Worldwide Church of God, uh, Herbert W. Armstrong and and that particular group. They taught that the nations of Europe were actually the lost tribes of Israel. Now, there's no historical evidence for that. There's no genetic evidence for that. Uh, I have a feeling that today... Some of our writers in America are trying to put America in that place instead of Europe. Uh, some of our, uh, e- even some of our, our Jewish theologians are identifying America as the people of God. I, I don't see that in Scripture. I, I think we need to be very careful. I, I, I know some of those books are popular and so forth. But when they try to put America in Israel's place, I think they have a real problem. And I think we, we need to reject that viewpoint. There's the allegorical viewpoint, which says much of Scripture is an allegory. We can't really understand it unless somebody explains it to us. So much of your covenant th- theology revolves around the, this particular area. It's all symbolic. To them, God has transferred the blessings of Israel to the church. That's where we get replacement theology today. The church has replaced Israel. Israel has, to that, they're thinking, no right to the land. God is finished with them. They're the ones that supposedly crucified Christ. And yet the problem with that is, how do we set aside a promise that God made? He made it to Abraham years ago. And if he can set the, his unilateral promise aside to Abraham, then what hope do we have as a church today? And so I think we need to be very careful of that particular approach. The approach that I'm taking is the literal approach. I believe that God is the master communicator. I believe God is able to say what he means. And if God says it, I don't think we have to try to explain it away. 
I, I believe God means what he says today. Uh, and I, I remember years ago when I started Laterno College, you had to take Old Testament survey your first semester there. And uh, our teacher, Dr. McKinley, I, I still remember that. And, and this is amazing. I, I still remember something that he said. <laughs> that, that, that's been quite a few years ago. Matter of fact, it's been over 50 years ago. But uh, he, he made this statement. I don't think it was original with him. I think it was original with somebody from Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, but he, he copied it and he put it in his book and in and his notes and so forth. He, he said, if the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. Think of that. If the plain sense of Scripture makes good sense, we don't need to start making a picture or an allegory out of it or trying to find read something into it because God knows exactly what he is saying. And he is a faithful God today. I am convinced that God will keep his word. The Apostle Paul was convinced of that. He said, I'm convinced that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. What had he committed to him? His very soul, his very life. He believed that God's word was true. And so that's how we're going to approach what he is saying here. So let's look at, first of all, who are the people of God that Paul reveals here. Paul is using that term for Israel, and yet we saw back in chapter 9 that not everyone in Israel was a believer. Not everyone in Israel were, was worshiping God, and they, they were not part of the true Israel here. Uh, and, and so Paul uses that term very, very carefully at this point to, to remind us that it's not based on lineage, not based on the fact that they were born a Jew that makes them a part of the people of God. You know, I think there's a parallel to the church in that. How many people today are trusting in the fact that they were born in America, Christian nation, so they've got to be a Christian? Or they were born into a Christian family, that makes them even closer. I, I remember years ago, uh, a young boy accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior in our Sunday school class. And I remember his father getting very irate about that. And uh, he called me to his house and he said, we had that child baptized as a baby. He doesn't need to accept Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He, he, he was born into the church, in, in a sense. Well, we explained where we stood on that issue and uh, went our separate ways for a while. But, you know, shortly after that, his wife came to the realization, even though she had been born and raised in a Christian family, had been baptized as an infant, that in one of the ladies' Bible studies that she realized she was a sinner in need of Christ. She accepted Christ as her personal Savior. Years, a couple of years later, Bill moved his family out of the community to a, a town about 100 miles away. And in his new job, he came face-to-face -face with somebody that worked with Campus Crusade. And he accepted Christ as his personal Savior. You know, after that point, there was no question, do my kids need the Lord. Yes, they, they do. You, you may be born in a Christian family. Your parents may have been Christians. That, my friends, do, does not make you a child of God today. You have to come by faith in Jesus Christ. You have to make that choice yourself. So Paul describes those who are truly God's people here three ways. They are, first of all, people of faith. Paul uses his own personal testimony here uh, as he's looking at the nation of Israel. He said, you know what? I was a Benjaminite. I, I was I was born a Jew. I was elsewhere. He reveals he was a Pharisee and so forth. 
uh, possibly even there when Christ was crucified and giving his approval to, to, to that because he was zealous for his people and, and his re- religion there. But along came Jesus Christ. And as Paul was making his way down the road to Damascus to persecute the church, the Lord revealed himself to him. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why, why, why are you doing this to me? And, and uh, he came face to face with the reality that he has been fighting against God. And he had to make a choice. He, he had to decide to put his faith and trust in this one who was revealing himself to him. Paul made that choice to believe. Same as we saw back in chapter 10, verse 10. If we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Paul had to come to that conclusion. He came as a person of faith. He also reveals that God's people are people of choice. Uh, We looked at God's sovereign hand in, in Paul's conversion there and elsewhere. But also there came a point where he had to exercise his free will. God in his sovereignty gave him the right to, to make that choice. I think of my own life. I, I grew up in a, a home where we didn't know anything, or I wasn't taught anything at all about the Bible, about the Lord. I, I, I was eight years of age before uh, I even went to anything at all that was religious. Uh, and, and the only reason I went was because I had a, a Quaker lady as a teacher in, in third grade. And, and every... Monday morning, she would get up and ask for a show of hands. How many of you went to Sunday school yesterday? I didn't have any idea what Sunday school was. And I didn't want to go to Sunday school because I went to school five days a week. Why do I want to go a sixth day? <laughs> that just didn't make sense to me. But she made you feel like you were a heathen if, if you didn't go to Sunday school. <laughs> and then uh, uh, a fellow student that uh, was mentally challenged, a year or two older than I was, but in, in my class said, hey, how would you like to come to a Bible club? And I thought, you know what? This is going to get Mrs. James off of my back. <laughs> I, I can at least say I, I I have something to do. I didn't know what the Bible was. I, yeah, you know, you, you had to listen to it. Back in those days, you had to say the Lord's Prayer, read a, a portion of the Bible, and say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Every, every That's how you just started your class off. Or, or your day off. Uh, that, that's all I knew about the Bible. But I thought, if this is going to get Mrs. James off my back, th- th- I'll take the time and go. You know, they presented the gospel in that Bible club. And I resisted that for four years. I was not going to have anything to do with that because my parents had told me all about Santa Claus, all about the Easter Bunny. And I knew, this, I don't want to shatter anybody's illusions here this morning, but I knew that wasn't true. Uh, and I had good reason to believe that because we lived in an old farmhouse. The, the only heat upstairs was through a grate in the floor. And we could watch supposedly Santa Claus setting up the Christmas tree and, and the village under the tree and the, wrapping the presents. Uh, and we knew it wasn't Santa Claus. We knew who was doing it. Uh, and so I thought, you know what? You fooled me once. You're not going to do it again. I, I don't know how many people shared the gospel with me. I, I don't know how many Sunday school teachers I went through, Sunday school superintendent, a pastor, and I had a, 101 reasons why to say no. Until I came to the point where I had to recognize I was a sinner in need of salvation. And then as the Sunday school superintendent gave the invitation, I went forward and I knelt down, 
prayed with our pastor to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. It was a choice that I had to make. And here, Paul uses the example of Elijah. Poor Elijah. He thought, I'm the only one that's made that choice. I'm all alone in this. And you know what God said to him, Elijah? Get up. Get busy. You're not alone in this. There's 7,000 that have chosen to worship me. 7,000 that haven't worshiped Baal here. You're not alone in this. They were a people who made a choice to serve God and follow God. The same as what he said back in chapter 10, 9 and 10. We have to come to the place where we believe in him, where we accept him as our personal Savior and, and Lord of our lives. We, we are people of choice. We're also a people of grace. He talks in verse 5 of the present remnant, a remnant of grace there. And there are still a remnant of people who are saved by grace amongst the Jewish people. Uh, we have... Uh, you look on our bulletin board back there. We have a missionary couple that have been serving for 30-some years with Wycliffe Bible translators. Peter is Jewish by background. Uh, uh, Laura was not, but she adopted his faith when they got married. And uh, they still are part of the Messianic movement. They, they, they still worship with other Jewish people. Uh, a little bit different tradition than what we would worship. They observe some of the feasts and so forth with, with their people there with the idea in mind that they're going to communicate the gospel message to, to, to their people. Uh, they're, they're, they're part of that messianic movement today, uh, not because of their lineage, but because of the fact that they've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And what was true of Israel is also true of the church of Jesus Christ today. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of works, it's a gift of God. We come as a people of grace today. But the passage gets a little more serious here when we look at who are not the people of God. Uh, back in chapter 10, verse 21, we saw that just because they had a Jewish origin didn't mean that they were part of the people of God. Why? Because some of them had an hardened heart. Some of them had rejected, the, and, and the Greek word that he uses for a hardened heart is the same word we would use for having calluses. Now, when it applies to the, to the eyes, it, uh, it means they're blind. They're blind. They, they're not seeing clearly. Uh, now, I better not go there. I was going to say, any of you had cataracts? <laughs> you, you, you don't quite see like you should, do you? Uh, it, it's a hardening of the eyes in a sense there that, that, that has to be removed. Uh, Back in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 4, he's, he's prophesied the fact that, that that would happen, that they would see, but they wouldn't really believe. And the result is they're a spirit of stupor. Here, Paul quotes from Psalm 69, where in verse 22, and I wanted to read that one. And I had it all marked out so that I could do it fast, and then I lost the paper. Psalm 69, 22. It says, may their table become a snare, and when they are in peace, may it become a trap. Now, that's the part that, that he quoted for us. But go down a few verses there. It says, may they be blotted out of the book of life. May they not be recorded with the righteous. Why? Because they refused to believe in God. They, they, their hearts were hardened. They, they, they refused the offer of the Messiah, the offer of salvation. They had a false sense of security, just like the Pharisees did. They said, you remember the Pharisees said, our, 
we have Abraham for our father. We don't know who your father is, but we had Abraham for our father. The fact of the matter is, there was no such thing as national salvation for Israel. They had to come as individuals. They, they had to accept God on God's terms, not on the terms of a, a nation here. And I, I realize God's going to restore the nation of Israel, and we're living in the days when we're seeing that beginning to be fulfilled, I believe. But it's important for us to realize that when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to come and he's going to save individuals. If you read the book of Zechariah, you come down to, I believe it's chapter 12 there, where Jesus comes and he steps on the Mount of Olives. The mount is split in two and, and uh, they, they recognize him for who he is. They see the prince in his hands and so forth. If you read just a little bit farther in that passage, you will notice he says they are going to repent. They're going to weep. They're going to mourn for their sin. But notice how he, he says it there. He says the house of David is going to mourn. The house of Nathan is going to mourn. The house of Levi, they're, they're all going to go to their individual homes and they're going to search their hearts before the Lord and they are going to come as individuals repenting of their sin there. And that's a serious passage, I think, for us, because many today are trusting in the fact that they've been born in a Christian nation, raised in a Christian home. Therefore, God's obligated to get them into heaven. I would suggest it's possible even for you to attend church week after week and hear the word. And if you don't respond and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're lost. You're without Christ. You, you, you need to make that personal choice today. Years ago in Daily Bread, there was an article entitled The Tragedy of a Hardened Heart. It was a pastor who went, uh, actually in England, he, he went to a new pastorate and um, he began to visit different families in the congregation. He went to this one uh, the aged father of the household followed me, he said, to the door and stopped me on the porch. Took me by the hand, he said, I thank you for your visit, and I hope it will not be the last. As you have commenced your labors amongst us, I wish to give you a word of advice based on my own experience. He said, let us old people alone and devote your labors to the youth of your flock. He said, 40 years ago, I was anxious about my soul. Many were then converted, but I was not one of them. During the ministry of another pastor, many more were converted, but I was not one of them. And now for years, I have not had a single feeling on the subject. His heart became hardened. Now, I'm not suggesting as I read that that we turn entirely to the youth, because this is still the day of salvation. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, this is the day of salvation. It's still possible for someone to come to Jesus Christ. Do you know someone like that individual? Maybe they've gone through the motions all of their life. Maybe some of you sitting here have done that. And yet you haven't made that decision to ask Jesus Christ into your life, to become Lord and Savior of your life. You need to do that today. You're not automatically part of God's family just because your parents were, were part of that family. You know somebody like that? Keep praying. Keep sharing. You never know when God's going to touch that heart. You never know when they may come and, and make that decision. They may even make it on their deathbed. But praise the Lord, they may make it. And we need to 
communicate the gospel message to those that, that desperately need Jesus Christ. If you made that decision, you, you need to recognize you have a responsibility to share that, to pass it on, to, to seek to bring others into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you haven't, beware the danger of a hardened heart. Don't presume upon tomorrow. You just may not have a tomorrow. Today is the only day you have. You, you, you may not be here tomorrow. As we think of Israel, and we'll see more of Israel next time, two weeks from now, but remember, as Paul raised that question, has God rejected his people? His answer was an emphatic no. May it never be, he said. God keeps his promises. In Romans 8, 32, he speaks of the fact, if God spared not his own son, but delivered him up freely with for us all, how shall he not with him also give us all things? And then he closes that section in Romans chapter 8. You come down to those tremendous words, what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, trials? Uh, he goes on and gives a whole long list of things there, and his conclusion is nothing is able to separate a child of God from God. His love is real. His love is true. His love is for us today. Praise the Lord, God is not finished with his people, Israel. And praise the Lord, God is not finished with you and I either. He will keep his word to his church and to those who come by faith in Jesus Christ. And so as you, know, as you think about the example here of Israel, let me ask you a personal question. Are you part of the family of God today? I'm not asking, were your parents a part of the family of God? I'm not asking, were you raised in a Christian nation? And I have my doubts that we would call America a Christian nation anymore. I, I don't know if it ever was, but uh, it certainly had better principles than it, than it does today. I'm asking, have you made that personal decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, then I'm going to ask you to seriously consider doing that today. I'll be available at the end. Uh, you can uh, visit with me and we'll go into the office if need be, and I'll share with you how you can become a child of God. But make sure you're not resting on somebody else's faith. Make sure it's personal, that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your character. Thank you that you are faithful and true. Thank you that when you make a promise, it shall stand, and you will not turn your back on it. Thank you, Lord, we can commit our very lives to you, knowing that they're in safe hands. And, Father, we pray that you would help us to take some time and honestly evaluate where we're at in our relationship with you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing Fill My Cup, Lord.